You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and I'm delighted to have your company for the next hour when I'll be talking to three great guests, including Mike Neary, Manager, Horticulture at Board Bia. Mike is going to give us a great insight into the programme of events and exhibitors attending the Bloom in the Park Festival, which takes place next week from the 1st until the 5th of June in Dublin's Phoenix Park. That's the June Bank Holiday Weekend, which is often and certainly, fingers crossed, a glorious weekend of sunshine and in order to get your skin prepped and ready for a golden tan I was in Sona's health food shop in the heart of West Limerick's Newcastle West to get some advice from owner Rosemary Bennis. Last week I also took a spin into Limerick City to meet the managing editor of the Sunday Business Post Gillian Neelis and Gillian edits the bite-sized section that appears in the Sunday Business Post magazine as well as quarterly food specials and we had an interesting conversation about her journalism career and how she became one of Ireland's top food journalists. So before we talk to Mike Neary, a reminder about how you can get in touch with me here on The Best Possible Taste. You can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So as I said, our first guest this evening is Mike Neary from Board Bia. Mike is one of the key people responsible for the superb Bloom Festival that starts next week on Thursday the 1st of June and runs through until the bank holiday Monday and that's the 5th of June. Can't believe that's here already. I'll have details about how you can win free tickets to the show later in the programme so have a pen to hand to take all the details down and stay tuned for that after we talk to Mike Neary. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Mike, thanks a million for joining us to tell us about this year's Bloom, a very exciting event. Absolutely, Sharon. Glad, glad to be talking to you as well. Yeah, it's it's um just around the corner now and the June Bank Holiday weekend from the 1st to the 5th of June as well. So um, planning is going well. Uh, we're up on site at the moment. And um, for those people of whom we hope to be a lot coming from that side of the country, I think people are going to find it a really, really good show and we're really looking forward to it. This is the 11th year of Bloom and in year one, the whole idea was about show gardens, but it has very much evolved from then. Absolutely, Sharon. And I suppose when we started the, the first show back in 2007 and we look at where we are now um, and last year we celebrated our 10th birthday, um, the, so the show has doubled in size. Um, the, our attendance has doubled in size. And while, as you said rightly, initially we started very much focusing on plants, show gardenings and that and that area, um, the whole other part of the show, the food side and the food element has grown significantly. And you could nearly say that half the show now is to do with gardens and gardening and plants and the other half is to do with the whole food and food experience. And, and what we found it works great for people because when people come to Bloom, they want to experience, you know, a fantastic day out. So irrespective of what age group or what demographic that comes along, the show has got something for everybody. Um, and though the beauty of the whole show, we're at, at the heart of the Phoenix Park, which is one of the most beautiful locations in the country. Um, we're on a 70-acre site, and we use every single piece of that site. So, yeah, it's 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 been brilliant, uh, and we're looking forward to a, a great show this year. Last year, we had a record number. We had 115,000 people turned up over the five days. And fingers crossed, with good weather, I think we, we'll get close to that target again. Is the weather very important to the success of the event? I, I think the weather is important, but I suppose there's two things I'd say on that is that as long as we don't get too much rain, I think people actually enjoy coming out. Um, 
I think one thing we've done on the site over the years, we've actually weatherproofed a lot of the site. So to give an example, we, we put down five kilometres of walkway and trackway because um, obviously it's a temporary site that we go on to. Um, so basically, if people, even if the weather isn't great, we actually have a hard surface for people to walk on. We have over three acres of marquees on the site. So that covers our, our plant area, our retail pavilion, our food village, our different stages. So in, irrespective of what the weather is, while obviously we like to see nice weather and it brings bigger crowds out, even if people come if the weather isn't as good, we still have got great weatherproofing on site and people can still come in and enjoy a great day. But look, we all look forward uh, to, to good weather. So based over the next week, we'll all become long weather forecasters up here in Dublin and we're watching closely what the weather is going to be. But um, fingers crossed it'll be good. Absolutely, fingers crossed indeed. And the tracking that you talk about there makes the event very family friendly for people in buggies and wheelchair friendly also. Absolutely. And, and this is what we're very um, careful and we want to make sure that anybody who comes to Bloom, um, irrespective of what age they are, um, whether they're, they're in a wheelchair or a buggy, that, that they can actually travel and access the full site and, and get to enjoy all the features that are there. Um, and, you know, we have all the facilities on site for that. Um, and, you know, you know, and generally speaking, we find we get very positive response from all the people who come to visit Bloom. And overall, people get a very, very good day out as well. So if people are coming in, for example, if they're in wheelchairs, we have VIP parking up near the entrance points and people can actually get access to a wheelchair on site. Um, and if they don't have their own and, and navigate comfortably around the site as well. So it is important. We want everybody to have a good day out and to enjoy it. There are a number of different activities and events there specifically for children. I see this year you have the Keelings Love to Grow Learning Zone. Yes, I suppose last year uh, I said we had 115,000 people visiting uh, Bloom and 15,000 of those were children. So we see these as very important to make sure that, that when a family comes that the kids get a good experience and a great day out. So as well as the Keelings feature that you mentioned, which is a great learning and educational zone, particularly around plants and growing and where our food comes from. Um, we have a, a children's area called uh, Budding Bloomers. And in that there's different stages and different activities that kids can can enjoy. Um, and this year we're introducing what's called uh, a kid's passport. So when the children come on site, they can pick up a passport and it'll actually show them how to navigate around the site, get to see all the different children's activities and to get a stamp at each of those points and an opportunity to win some prizes at the end of the day as well. So uh, making a child friendly is very important to us as well. So um, absolutely, if there's kids coming along, we look forward to seeing them. And people should know that kids are free, of course, to come into the event as well. Um, I want to suggest, Sharon, if people go to the um, the website, bloominthepark.com, to get all the, de- the detail in terms of what's happening at Bloom, the activities, how to access the site, because there's so much information and so much happening. You need to sit down and spend a little bit of time if you're going to come to plan your day and particularly to plan your day at the site for your children. I think that's very good advice about planning the day just to make sure you get the most out of it and it is an enjoyable experience for the children and for the adults because there is so much there for everybody to do that everybody has to get their turn and their time to do what they enjoy most. Well absolutely and what we do always advise we say to people is is come as early as you can and because it, it will take if you really want to enjoy the show uh, and to take your time uh, and to go to the different uh, presentations, demonstrations, see the show gardens, to do a little bit of retail therapy as well. It'll take, you know, a number of hours to navigate the site. Um, so to do that confident at your leisure, um, if you can give it a full day, that that's that's the best thing to do on that. 
So as I said to you, you know, we've, we've got a fantastic uh, specialist North Sea Floral Pavilion. So for people who are really into their plants and into their gardening, um, there's, there's some great experts in there that can guide you through that whole area. We have a large retail pavilion, so people want to do a little bit of retail therapy, which most people may want to do when they come on a day out. Um, the whole thing's covered there. There's craft, there's fashion, there's leisure um, uh, sort of categories represented. Obviously, the show garden area, we've got 22 fantastic show gardens this year, uh, probably some of the best that we've ever had. And we'll also obviously have the show garden winner there showing his garden. Um, so I think those type of things are very, very important. Uh, and of course, we have um, a musical stage outdoors. People want to sit down to relax and enjoy the picnic. And of course, we have a very large food village there. So if you're into your food, uh, you want to buy, you want to taste, um, certainly there, there's a huge amount for you to see and to enjoy as well. So plan your day, uh, come early and, and take your time getting around the site. One of the areas, one of the many areas that you oversee is the food village. So in that there's a showcase there of some of the best Irish artisan producers. Absolutely. I and mean, we have about a, over 100 Irish food companies who will be in the food village this year. Um, and the great thing for, we'll say, the, the ordinary visitor that the, these are pictures a lot of what called arts and are the smaller great food business companies that we have. And the opportunity for visitors to come and talk to the, the people who are making the products and selling them and, and to get a bit behind the industry, if you like, and, and the great job that these people are doing. And it, it's covering the full category of, of food products. So from meat, fish, poultry, dairy products, juices, chocolates, bakery. Um, it's a huge Pandora's box of, of what would be on display for people to come and enjoy. And of course, within this area too, we have our, our chef's quality kitchen stage. And during the day, we have up to 25 demonstrations happening across the full weekend. And we have people like Nevin Maguire, Rory O'Connell, Edward Hayden, uh, Catherine Fulvio, who will be doing demonstrations across the show. So not only can you purchase and view and experience great food, you can also learn how to cook it and, and present it with these expert chefs in terms of that. Sharon, so even the food village in itself takes quite a bit of time to navigate, but I think people will really, really enjoy the offer this year. Let's talk a bit about the gardens themselves for a minute, because you said there, is it 22 gardens that are there and they're all shapes and all sizes? That's right. We have uh, 22 show gardens. Um, and these really, I suppose, are the jewel of the show. Uh, we've got six large gardens. Uh, we've got sort of 12 medium ones and, and six small. And they represent, uh, I suppose, this year, a huge different themes which are represented through the gardens in terms of, uh, you know, greening the landscape, uh, presenting gardens as places where people can escape to, um, particularly in terms of health, well-being messages. Also, some of the gardens are talking about international global issues. So, for example, we hear a lot about building building walls, and one of the gardens there is, is showing that rather than trying to build walls and barriers, what we should be doing is trying to collaborate and work closely together. Um, and also, uh, we have a garden which has uh, been sponsored by AgriAware, um, the Agricultural Promotion Organization, and that's actually showing Irish landscape and how it delivers and produces great food, um, both on the meat side and on the horticulture side. And, you know, it, it, it works extremely well. And the other important thing about the gardens is, is many of the links and the sponsors are with some very good uh, charities and, uh, and organizations who are representing very good causes. So this year, we have people like Ops, Opsfam, Trocra, uh, Crumlin Children Hospital, Pieta House. And the great thing of collaboration with them at Bloom is they're able to present what they do and, and the message that they're trying to promote out there and get support for among the general public through the theme and, and through the vehicle of, of a garden. And that really adds a great message and a great, if you like, uh, addition to, to what the gardens are. So 
again, as I said before, there's an awful lot to see. And if people are coming, particularly to see the show gardens, if you do come early, because it gets quite busy in the afternoon, so you'll have a little bit more time to navigate the gardens and hopefully get to talk to some of the designers and the gardeners who can explain exactly what was in their mind when they developed the garden. Uh, and indeed, if people want a little bit of tips on how they could take some elements from what they see into their own garden, uh, then that, that, that adds a great value to people's day on that. So absolutely the jewel in the crown this year. I'm absolutely amazed year on year about the innovation and the creativity that goes into the gardens, even from the postcard size gardens and what people can do with the smallest of spaces. Absolutely. And, and this is a new addition. I think this will be our third year of what we call postcard gardens. And they are exactly what they say, Sharon. They're, they're quite small spaces. But the beauty of this, these are not professional gardens. These aren't the professional designers. These are actual amateur gardeners, uh, community gardeners from right around the country who've come together to present a very simple garden design, um, uh, which, which really, really represent either their area or some sort of messages they're trying to promote around what they do as a group. And this year we've got 14 of them. So when people come into the main entrance of the site, they're going to be right inside the main entrance. Um, and the, we've got groups represented from pretty well the four corners uh, of Ireland. So they're beautiful to see. And because it's, if you like, people who are, I call it uh, the ordinary gardeners who just want to do small little bits in their own garden, they get some great ideas from this. And in that addition this year, we, we've also got an exhibition of what's called doorstep gardens. So very much you'll see in the cities and towns where people have a nice little garden at the front and they might try and dress that up where they don't actually have a much larger gardening space. So we have a number of postcard gardens exhibitions where people again will be able to see and maybe take some ideas from that to take home to their own maybe house and, and maybe reflect exactly the same thing. So it's not just the professional gardeners that are there. We've also got what we call the amateur, but some very great people doing great work out there. And we're delighted that we can showcase them at Bloom this year. Whenever you have 22 gardens there, you have the food village, you have the children's area, like there's there's so much going on there. Behind the scenes then, tell us how long does it take to get to that stage when it's open to the public? At what point do you go into Phoenix Park and start the build? Well, it takes about a month, uh, about 30 days to from the day we actually enter the site to, to the show opening. But even before that, Sharon, there's a huge amount of planning goes on. So as soon as Bloom is finished one year, we sit down as, as a team internally in, in Borbea and we start to plan the, 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 the show for the next year. So it's, it's, it's a planning period that expands over the best part of a year. But obviously when we get onto the site to actually start to build, and because it is, we're building literally a, a town or a village, in, in, in the Phoenix Park uh, for, for a five-day show. So so there's a lot of time and a lot of people involved. Um, across the show event itself, we, we probably have about 4,000 people who actually work across the show when the show is actually running, that number of people on site to make sure that it operates. Um, so it's a, if you call it, it's, it's, it's a huge effort. Um, and not just our own team in here, we obviously have working with some of our events people, but even the food industry, the exhibitors, the garden designers, and there's even a huge amount of people who give time voluntarily, they give products voluntarily to knit the whole show together. So it's quite a mix of, if you like, a, a different group of people within that team that, that when we get to the 1st of June this year and we open the gates, everything is in place and, and ready to rock and roll as well. So it's a long journey, but the reaction that we get just to see people's faces when they come in and have a great day out, it's worth the effort, uh, every single bit of it. And of course, on the Monday, in the bank holiday Monday, whenever it's all over for the public, the work is starting all over again for you and your team in, in order to bring Phoenix Park to the way it was in the previous month. 
Um, absolutely. And uh, obviously, we, we get the lend of the visitor centre site for, for basically about six weeks um, from the OPW, who are fantastic partners and, and are great supporters of the show and give us a great help on site. Um, so basically, once the show closes, uh, we have we roughly takes us about two weeks to clear the site. And we need to make sure that we return the site to exactly the same conditions we found in the first place, because that whole area that we hold the bloom and the park in, it's it's a visitor centre uh, in the park. There's a beautiful wall garden that's there all year round. Uh, there's a playground for children, beautiful walks in the area. There's a visitor centre that people can go in and visit and learn about some of the history of the Phoenix Park. So even when Bloom is gone for the year, I would still encourage people actually to go into that facility whenever they're actually up in Dublin, because it really is a beautiful area within the park. And we're delighted to be able to use that for the course of the show. It, it definitely is an ideal location to host it. And you have everything there that, that you need and you complement it so well with all the different aspects of the show. For you yourself, over the past 10, 11 years, what has been your personal highlight? What have you loved most about being involved in Bloom? I, I suppose, Sharon, there are a couple of things. One, I suppose, is, is to see how the show has grown uh, from what was a, a small idea, maybe whatever, 13, 14, 15 years ago, uh, and to see the size that the show has now got to and the number of people that turn up for it. It's become a brand in itself, uh, and I suppose that's satisfying, and particularly for all the people who've been involved in the, the event. Every year, a huge amount of the people who visit Bloom are actually revisits. They're, they're coming back for a second or a third or a fourth time as well. So there's a great loyalty factor uh, among our patrons out there, and I suppose there's satisfaction that in terms of we're obviously ticking a lot of boxes for a lot of people, uh, but the other thing we learned, we don't take anything for granted. So every single year we try and do something a little bit different, continue to develop the show and make sure that people feel when they do come to the event that they get what they what they originally planned to get from the event. So be it to do with the gardens, be it to do with a good food experience, just have a good day out. Uh, once that happens, then, then we're quite happy. So I think just seeing people's, if you like, satisfaction after the event, I suppose that, that for us is is kind of our seal of approval, if you like. But my, my one is just to see how the show has developed and grown. And I suppose the second thing I just mentioned is the engagement of our own industry, both horticulture and, and the food and beverage industries who really embrace Bloom, who are fully engaged with it. And what the event has become a fantastic showcase for both horticulture and for the food and drinks industry in terms of what they do and how they actually present their, their products. And it gives obviously a great marketing opportunity for them to obviously, in, in, I suppose, engage with consumers uh, and obviously promote their brands and their business. So I think it's a great business opportunity for the industry as well. And I suppose one thing I didn't mention is that on the Friday morning of Bloom each year, we have a trade morning, and there we bring in about 200 buyers from both Ireland and the UK. And they come around before the show opens, basically to meet the companies who are exhibiting and hopefully to develop some market context and build some business. So it's not just about consumers having a good day out. It's hopefully for our patrons and for our companies that some business will also evolve and come out, out of the show as well. So they're all positive points for me, Sharon. Well, having been there on a number of occasions myself in the past, I, I really do enjoy it. I think it's a fantastic event. I'm so excited now about going, having talking to you. So I'm glad it's just around the corner. It's the 1st to the 5th of June in the Phoenix Park. And if people want to find out more about opening times, ticket sales, etc., where's the best place for them to go? I think the best thing, as I said, if they go to the, the Bloom website, bloominthepark.com, and that'll give all the information in terms of how you get tickets, how you access the site, and then you can work through the website and look at all the different activities and events 
And as we said earlier on, it allows you to to plan your day so that when you arrive, you're, you're, you're going to get off to a good start once you, once you hit the site as well. So bloomthepark.com for all the information. Great. Mike, thanks so much for telling us all about it today and best of luck with it. Nice to talk to you, Sharon. Bye now. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, you heard me talking to Board B as Mike Neary about Bloom, which is on over the bank holiday weekend in Phoenix Park. Well worth visiting, and if you'd like to win two free tickets to attend, I'm running a very easy competition. All you have to do is text Bloom to 087-166-9800, along with the answer to this question. What city is Phoenix Park in? And don't forget to include your name. And that number again is 087-166-9800. And the question, what city is Phoenix Park in? And don't forget to include your name. And that competition will be open until 1 o'clock on Wednesday the 24th of May. So good luck. Another great event taking place over the bank holiday weekend is in Limerick and it's the Limerick International Food Truck Festival. That's on like Bloom from Thursday the 1st of June until the bank holiday Monday the 5th of June in the People's Park. It's the largest food truck festival in Europe with more than 60 food trucks from 14 countries as well as our local and national traders. There's a great programme of events to complement the vendors including music, cook-offs and family events and if you want more details about that check out the revamped limerick.ie website. They've done a great job there with the new website and it's a mine of information about what's happening in Limerick City and County. Don't forget if you've missed any of the shows so far we'll be up in the podcast as usual later on in the week and you'll find the podcast on the website SharonNoonan.com but you can also subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Next, we're off to the heart of Newcastle West in County Limerick to talk to Rosemary Bennis in Sonus Health Food Shop. I don't know about you, but for me, when it comes to the sun, I suffer dreadfully from prickly heat and I get adverse reactions to bites. So I asked Rosemary about what we can do to alleviate these ailments and protect ourselves in the summer months. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. We're going to talk today, Rosemary, about summertime in Ireland and abroad and how we can protect our skin through different supplements and foods. Okay, yes. So um, we cover the more classic Irish summer, which can be lovely like the last few weeks or can be a bit more disappointing <laughs> like usual. Maybe heavier weather, damper weather, especially where you in certain parts of the country a lot of midges and uh, insects in the evening when you want to get out and about or if you're out in the bog or if you're out in the garden and you find that stopping you enjoying it there's a couple of things you can do and of course on a, an overcast day in somewhere like Ballybunion we do still need to be very careful because the sun there's certain rays can be getting through the clouds there and you still need to have a bit of sun protection yeah absolutely and I think we're you know a little bit risque about that we think oh it's fine we'd only put on the factor when there's clear sun but it's true you do need to just a point about that is that when you the action of the sun and the skin converts into vitamin D where people are much more aware now of the importance of vitamin D. It's got a huge effect on our immune system, our mood, our bone density, um, really strongly antiviral. And very often, 
people are very low in vitamin D, like, you know, way below the levels, um, and therefore much more susceptible to flus and colds and structural deficiencies as well. So it's important to have sun exposure because it is the best form of vitamin D. We do get some in foods as well, but that, that pure sun exposure is great. But really, about 20 minutes a day on maybe arms, face legs if you're wearing shorts or a shorter skirt and that's fine and then put on your factor so I'm not saying go out and burn but if it's you know before 12 o'clock um, or maybe around 3 or 4 get some sun but do put on your sun factor then because after 20 minutes we've made what the sun is going to do for us. And what sort of foods and supplements can we be taking to get more vitamin D into our diet? Yeah good question. Um, cod liver oil natural source of vitamin D it's in the cod liver. Um, liver as in offal, offal, um, and um, good, good eggs will have some vitamin D as well. Um, so you're talking organic eggs yeah, from or the free range eggs? Yeah, from free, really, yeah, really, preferably eggs that are around the backyard, you know, or, or your neighbours or whatever. Um, but liver and cod liver oil, um, so it's limited enough. Now, a cod liver oil supplement is a great idea. You're getting your natural vitamin E, naturally occurring vitamin, sorry, excuse me, D. You're also getting naturally occurring vitamin A. It's really helpful, antioxidant, very good for eye health, skin health. And then obviously you're getting the omega-3s. Um, and then liver, yeah, it can be tricky. I think it's a habit if me, you might be into... Liver is not something that sits I know. right now. I love chicken liver patty, yeah, but yeah. fried liver, just a very bad childhood memories of yeah. it, like I'm sure many of my like peers. Like many, yeah, exactly. Sometimes a little bit can be like cooked into a bolognese or, a, or, a, or a, like a meat dish without really being tasted. Sharon's not buying it. So anyway, we leave it at that. But otherwise, um, and then otherwise, if you find you're just not getting it and it's just not reliable, um, the consistency is really important apart from even the good dose so then really supplementation is the best way to go and you can either um, apart, say if you're not taking your cod liver oil take a vitamin D in a spray form which is very really accessible and available um, to the body a capsule form or there's even liquid forms as well so that is about getting the sun so if you're out in the sun what do we need to be doing then to protect it what sort of things should we be using um in terms of natural products yeah so from the inside out in terms of protecting because the sun is fantastic gives us energy gives us it makes us feel good you know like does produces vitamin d does so much for us emotionally and mentally as well um but it can burn and it can and it causes massive oxidation of the skin which equals aging that's all you need to know. Rusting, basically, oxidation, that's what that is. So we do need to protect. So obviously use a sun factor. Um, I would say in this country, minimum factor 15 and upwards in children definitely be 30 or even on your face factor 30. We would do hypoallergenic, non-irritating, non-scented, um, suitable for sensitive skin, pure um, sun creams and they're great they're made with natural like zinc oxide is a natural sun protectant um, like filter so they're really good if you're sensitive especially if you get um, breakouts and white spots and reactions to a conventional sun cream so they're really good and also then you can take what's called beta carotene which is the orangey substance in yellow and orange plants like carrots peppers all that and if you take that orally as a supplement it nourishes the skin from within and it helps to decrease your sensitivity to the, to the sun 
so it still isn't doesn't mean that you don't you go out without sun protection but it does really help and it, it's actually a very good skin nutrient and a lot of women especially now are really tuned into vitamin a and retinol and this is basically the plant cousin of it so very very good for skin protection in general so if you were planning a sun holiday mm-hmm. where you were going to be exposed to the sun quite a lot should you start taking that a week or two in advance or a month in advance a month in advance yeah it's a fat soluble nutrient it takes a bit of time to build up i would say at least a month in advance a lot of people take it actually start at the say springtime um because they know they want to it's it's just it helps the skin tone and and color um and then obviously using correct some protection but it is a really good and it's just a very good antioxidant which protects your cells sometimes we don't see that you know in the short term but long term anything that's antioxidant is good and I think I've heard that that can also ward off against prickly heat if your su- if your skin is particularly sensitive to the sun and if you if you do get too much exposure that you get all itchy from it. That's right. Yeah, it can be helpful. That's not you'd want to have it built up for a couple of months maybe. But yeah, because you're decreasing your sensitivity. Another one that's a really that's an old favorite that we talk a lot about in this show, Sharon, is nettle. Nettle is really helpful because it's a natural antihistamine. So there's a few natural antihistamines, vitamin C as well actually. That's one we often forget get so um but nettle is great and or, uh, heat rash or net um urticaria is or like nettle sting rash urtica is the latin for nettle and when you have those kind of little nettle like bumps on the skin you're diagnosed urticaria the classic remedy for that is urtica or nettle and uh, really helpful it helps build the blood it helps to increase your natural level histamine so counteracts the irritation and um, it's actually just genuinely good blood tonic we spoke about it last month as a kind of a skin as, as a body tonic and um, so there's no nettles great either in drops or tablet or tea and you mentioned there at the start about midges and different bites yep. that you can end up getting whether you're at home or abroad is that something that can help with those as well yeah good it would it would actually yes it would kind of ind- indirectly almost but it would because the reaction to the bites is um, a histamine response so we get bitten basically and our body goes bingo and releases floods of histamine which is caught which is what causes the redness rash irritation bumps swelling and so when you reduce that it does reduce the reaction to a bite for example so yes it would there's also very good natural insect repellents and based on neem neem is an indian plant it's a little bit like tea tree but not as not as strongly antibacterial but neem is great to repel um, midges mosquitoes horse flies all those buggers that love to bite sensitive Irish skin because prevention is better than cure and if you're sitting outside in the garden there's a couple of things you can do to kind of keep them at bay yeah exactly I would do like a spray on the the neem repellent that's really good it's very suitable for sensitive skin there's no it's not like DEET and um, you can actually put that directly in the skin or around you or on a scarf or something um then you can use citronella, which is an essential oil. It's really lovely fragrance. Um, and a does lot that of come from the lemon? Or? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's an extraction okay. from, the, it's, it's, I, can't, I forget which part exactly, but it's from the citrus family. Yeah, okay. And it's a really lovely fresh oil. You can, people love it like for household cleaning, just a couple of drops in the kitchen sink, and it's really refreshing. But um, it's a great repellent as well. So you can burn that, or you can, we actually do incense sticks that you can light outside, or you get sometimes candles infused with it, and you can burn them outside of an evening 
evening and they really do help actually mm-hmm. I find you need a good lot of it but they're great and you can make your own little body spray with that just mix it in with water maybe a bit of lavender um, and, and spritz it around like a really really nice spritz and actually just speaking about lavender and tea tree I think those trio lavender tea tree and citronella are great they're a great summertime kit because lavender is fantastic for helping to relieve burns all sorts of burns like a burn if you burned your hand off the grill or barbecue for example really good you can apply it neat if you do a dilution of it it's fantastic on sunburned skin like say a little dilution and put on a face cloth like a compress soak in, in, in a basin of water and pop it on it's really cooling and very good for burn and then um, tea tree is a natural antiseptic natural dettol basically so it's it's a fantastic put a little dab onto any bite that's looking a bit irritated um, and and again actually put it in that little spritz mix as a, as a repellent um, it's just if you were traveling anywhere have those two in your bag they're okay. great yeah and of course the other couple of items that are very good for bites and irritations would be aloe vera and <coughs> apple cider vinegar that's right aloe vera is fantastic this is a great all-round product and some people a lot of people will have a plant of this so you can just literally break off a leaf squeeze out the inner gel and apply it directly or even keep the leaf in um in the fridge and use it over the course of a week or two um alternatively get a uh, tube of the gel get a really high concentration the one we have here is like practically 100 percent and so you do want a high concentration but it's fantastic to cool burn it is just if you lash this on if you went to ballybunion got too much wind didn't have your sun cream with you and lo and behold you come home and you're like a tomato lash on the aloe vera I, like every 10 minutes just la- layer it on um it'll be a little sticky but you just it really, really, really helps. And maybe put like a cool compress of lavender soaked face cloth over it. It really, really helps. And then the next day, do not forget your sun cream. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And just Once say as well. Never to happen again. Yes, exactly. Um, that's a great one in the kitchen. Aloe vera gel to have a tube of in the kitchen for just kind of domestic household burns you can get. Really, really helpful. Okay. Yeah. And the cider vinegar. Briefly, again, an old stalwart and just does so many things. But a little dilution of that, fantastic for bites as well. Not really, I wouldn't put it on burn now as well, but but for bites, absolutely, yeah. So I like a little teaspoon in a 100ml empty spritz bottle. Have that with you. It's great, especially if you were kind of camping or, you know, back, like if you had a caravan or if you were just out and about in the summer a lot, just have it around. It's great. Well, when you're talking about camping there, there is a lot of talk at the moment about Lyme disease. Yes. Which... It, it comes from getting bitten by a tick. Yes, exactly. There's particular bacteria that's in the tick that they lodge into us, so it's awful and it's a really, really serious consequence Lyme disease. In terms of direct prevention, it's a bit like um, it's more the physical preventions, like um, put you know when you're walking through long grass, when you're cy- out cycling and you're in meadows or whatever, um, just be vigilant. Like I'm, it's lovely to have bare feet, but you are advised um, to put on socks or tuck your trousers into your socks, something like that. But at le- the very, very least, when you come home, check, especially with children, check literally check their bodies. And if there's any little bites, um, there is a people should look this up. Really, there is a kind of particular technique for dislodging a tick. Many people will have done it from dogs. I know I have at home. You'll see them, and you just take them out. But there's a particular way to do it that's most effective. But it's worth being vigilant because it, Lyme disease is really really sinister it has very far reaching implications and it's very hard to detect so it's worth being vigilant it's more the physical preparations rather than taking something as far as I know yeah and um, you shouldn't squeeze them out that's right because that's when they release their poison or that's the, right. the bacteria yeah that's in. right so it's worth having a look and see what Captain Google says because rather than being 
in the situation and not knowing what to do. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, the, it's funny about the nettle inside of vinegar because they do they do keep coming up in our in yeah, our slot, they do, don't but they? they have multiple uses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. If sun care and creams really bother people, um, especially if somebody was after maybe chemotherapy or had particularly, say for example, was on medication that was really increasing your resistance to the sun, which is one side effect, it's very important to get the right sun care and do call in and have a look at see what the natural ranges are there because they're very effective. They're not they don't leave you all chalky and white um, but they do really suit and um, prevention is, is, is really important on a daily basis from the month of May really and you're always here to give advice absolutely that's our that's our, what we aim to do yeah. fantastic thanks for talking to me I'm pleasure to thanks Rosemary you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and so far on the show tonight, Rosemary Bennis has provided advice about looking after your skin during the summer months. And at the start of the programme, Mike Neary from Board Bia had details about Bloom, which is on in Phoenix Park from the 1st until the 5th of June. And if you'd like to win two free tickets to attend Bloom, I'm running a competition. All you have to do is text Bloom to 87 along with the answer to this question what city is phoenix park in also include your name that number again 087-166-9800 and the question what city is phoenix park in and don't forget include your name and the competition will be open until one o'clock on wednesday the 24th of may If you're just tuning in and you want to hear the start of the programme, you can check it out in the podcast later in the week whenever it goes up there on SharonNoonan.com or you can also catch it free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Now the next and final interview this evening is with Gillian Neelis. Gillian is the managing editor of the Sunday Business Post and she was in Limerick City last week to chair the latest event in the Bank of Ireland food series. And before she got down to business with the panel, I sat down with her for a chat. So let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Gillian, welcome to Limerick. Thank you very much. Delighted to be back. It's great to have you here away from the the big smoke. Absolutely. And the sun is shining, so I'm very happy. You're the, the editor of the Sunday Business Post. I'm the managing editor. So, yeah, so my job kind of involves uh, looking after the running of the newsroom and that kind of thing. And I suppose I'm lucky because of the size of the company we are. We're still a relatively small company. I still get to write, which is great because that's what got me into this business in the first place. So it's still great to be able to do that. And was journalism something that you always wanted to do from an early age? Yeah, pretty much. I I. I went and did a year of business and language studies after after school and realised quite quickly that wasn't going to be for me. So I kind of went back to my first love, did a journalism course and went straight out of college into that and have been there ever since. And when you were growing up, was there anybody particular in journalism that you really looked up to and admired? Um, I suppose back then it was probably a smaller spread of people. I, I read a lot. I, I was very into music when I was younger, so I read Hot Press religiously. Smash Hits was the highlight of my week getting it. So I did kind of uh, flirt with the idea of being a music journalist and then somehow ended up joining a business paper as, you know, life takes us down these paths. One of the subjects that you often write about is food businesses and food producers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that has been a really nice kind of thing that I've done over the last few years. And I suppose originally 
we started to write generally in the paper about food as a business because even during the downturn food and and drinks companies were doing great things it was an interesting time I suppose to be in the food or restaurant business especially in Dublin because rents were coming down and that was meaning there were opportunities for young new people to the business to try different things and maybe get their hands on premises they wouldn't have been able to afford so we were covering a lot of those kind of companies I was getting to know a lot of those people on Twitter And so I started kind of writing our food news page in the magazine and doing kind of regular news pieces and interviews. And then at short notice, we found ourselves without a restaurant critic. And as is the common thing in small companies, you know, you end up having to do lots of different jobs. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it for a month. And then we'll we'll uh, we'll get ourselves sorted. And that was nearly three years ago, and I'm still doing it. So I'm obviously enjoying it, or I don't think I'd still be doing it. Are you inundated with people contacting you, asking you to come and visit their restaurant or come and write mm-hmm. about their their food business? Yeah, I do get a lot of that kind of thing. And I suppose the way we operate, and it would be kind of similar to a lot of the other newspapers, is we book under a different name. Um, we don't do pre-arranged review visits. We always pay our own bill. Um, and that's important, I think, because I think it's important as much as you can to try and get the same experience as an average customer would get. Um, and I'm lucky in that I don't get recognised that often. Uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I look a little different in person to my picture byline, you know, even down to in normal things like wearing glasses and that kind of thing not in the kind of Groucho Marx way I don't quite go that far um, so yeah we do and and I suppose that I, I would tend to if, if people mail in I say thanks so much for letting me know I'll keep it on my radar but it's always done as, as anonymously as possible in Dublin, you are kind of spoiled for choice. There yeah. is so many restaurants mm-hmm. there now and always new ones opening up yeah. all the time. And sometimes what I feel is that all the different publications seem to review the same restaurant at the same time. So it's quite hard to kind of come up with a hidden gem or be the first person in the door. It is. And it's a lot harder than I imagine it was 20 years ago pre-internet. So it is quite difficult. And it's it's the holy grail for every critic is they want to discover that great place that nobody's ever heard of. But it's very, very rare. So I, I'm a naturally competitive person, I suppose. I think any journalist who doesn't want to get the story first probably shouldn't be in journalism anymore. Um, I'm quite lucky in that my deadline lead-in is quite short. So I could, for example, go to a restaurant on a Tuesday night, write it on a Wednesday morning and have it in the paper on Sunday. So that's a, quite a nice advantage that we have. But you're right, it is getting trickier and trickier. They're still out there. You know, I was on Inishbofin last year on a day trip and uh, we rounded the corner and saw a converted red London bus, which is something you don't expect to see on an island off the west of Ireland. And it's run by a local uh, man who married a lady from New York and they're serving up amazing kind of Indian food with Irish ingredients, you know, making their own um, fish soups and all that. And you go upstairs on the bus and you have this amazing view over the island. So they're still out there. But it, yes, it is much, much harder now to kind of discover that hidden gem. And it's not just about the food then whenever you're doing a restaurant review, mm-hmm. like you're very much about the story behind the people. Yeah, and I think restaurants, I mean, they're they're fascinating, really. They're fascinating beasts because I think we all probably have restaurants that maybe we go to and we couldn't hand on heart say the food was the greatest food we've ever eaten. But maybe it's got a fantastic manager or the atmosphere is wonderful or the service is great. So I think they're, you know, they're, it's the sum of, of all parts parts really in restaurants and you know I think 
for a lot of people, they could go to a restaurant and get served the greatest food in the world. But if they're not made to feel welcome, I think probably nine out of ten of them wouldn't go back based on the food alone. Well, that reminds me of something that Alan Curlock from, from Ox in Belfast said to me a few years ago about people going out for an evening, like yourself, myself, we have children. So there's mm-hmm. a babysitter has to be organised. You know, you're making the most of it, getting the nice dress on or whatever and a bit of makeup and he had said that from people from the minute they get out of the the car the taxi at the front door he wants them to enjoy every second of the experience until they go out the door so it isn't as you say just about the food the service the ambiance everything is just so important all of that and he's right I mean people's time is precious and their cash is precious and I think that was one of in some ways one of the advantages of the downturn is it it made us a little bit more conscious of getting value and and, I mean value can be anything from you know a five euro sandwich to like a hundred euro meal I mean I don't think it's necessarily about the amount of money as much as do I feel for what I spent I got value here Um, and that's important and I suppose you mentioned earlier about Dublin and it is it's it's kind of hard to keep up with the amount of new openings and as things have picked up in Dublin I wonder, are we maybe losing a little bit now that attention to value and to provenance that maybe we got quite good at during the downturn? You know, I would hate to think that we would go back to the days of being willing to pay over the odds for food that wasn't very good. Um, so I'm hopeful that maybe, you know, we will still keep trying to, to, to make sure we're getting good value at what depend whatever level we're spending. You mentioned social media there mm-hmm. and it's something that you use a lot to engage yeah. with people and to find out about people and what they're up to. Yeah, I do. I'm a Twitter addict. Um, I remember my husband years ago starting to use Twitter and I was kind of slagging him off and saying, this is ridiculous. Why would anyone ever be interested in this? And here I am many years later. It's a fantastic tool for journalists. Um, It's great to connect with people and especially in food where a lot of people, you know, they can't afford a PR company. They can't afford maybe to do photo shoots or all that. And it's a great equaliser because it gives you direct access to people. And that's really great. And I've gotten to know a lot of people all over the country in food that I never would have if it hadn't been for social media. So yeah, still a Twitter addict. Haven't mastered Snapchat. Don't think I ever will. And I'm trying to get a little bit better on Instagram. (laughs) I know. I think we're all aspiring to that. It is very time consuming though. So I think it's important maybe to pick one or two of them and do it well. Absolutely. And I think sometimes I get asked a lot by restaurateurs or food people, you know, what's the best way to make use of it? And I think they maybe think, it's very time consuming and I suspect it could be if you overthought it or you tried to do too much. So I think more than myself, you know, you have to say, OK, well, I can't do everything. So you need to pick what you can do and, and do something targeted. Whenever you get time to get away from Dublin, to mm-hmm. get out to other parts of Ireland, where do you like to go? What are your recommendations for places to eat and stay in other parts of the country? I love West Waterford. Um, that's been a favourite. And again, got to know a lot of people via Twitter so we love going down the Cliff House Hotel in Ardmore is absolutely beautiful it's such a treat to go there the people are lovely down around there and you can eat in great places like the tannery you mentioned Ox Ox is one of my favourite restaurants I think Belfast as a food city is incredibly exciting at the moment um, you know you've got the Muddlers Club which picked up a national newcomer award very recently uh, you've got James Street South there's so much happening and I suppose for us 
coming from south of the border there's such good value on wines and all that that it can feel like a really great weekend away so I love going up north um, and very accessible extremely accessible I mean I'm from Drogheda originally and I still remember the days of the border and of the incessant journeys up so I suppose you know Brexit obviously is on the mind of a lot of food people at the moment and as somebody who can remember what it was like trying to go up there years ago I'm really hoping that you know that that doesn't happen again but yeah as of now it's a it's a fantastic place to visit so um I haven't been to many other parts of the north I'm hoping to get up around the north coast you know and I've got a game two games of Game of Thrones fans in my life that are keen to get up there so we'll definitely that's on our list um I love Clare love the Burren um uh, we go down to the west. Uh, my husband's family have been going to Roundstone every summer for many years, so we like to go down there um, and some eat some great seafood, simple food down there. Um, I love Galway. I think the Galway city planners have a lot to answer for. Um, no more than Dublin, I think the traffic is a big issue. And I know for the last few years when we've been going to the west, we actually haven't gone into Galway city because we just find the traffic too too difficult to navigate so that's unfortunate and hopefully they might be able to do something about that um so there's lots of places around you know and I'm getting to know Limerick a bit better um as I said I've I've come down a couple of times now I've you know eaten in great places like Sash like La Cucina so it's a city that I'm hoping to get to know better and I have a small boy who still talks about King John's Castle having not been there in three years so he's a fan it's a great day out, so it yes, is. Yeah, absolutely. It's fabulous. Yeah. I used to live in Belfast myself, so I find whenever I go up there, I'm, I'm kind of very conflicted because I'm so jealous and that I've missed out on how yeah. it's moved on, and then I feel I'd be yearning for the old Belfast as mm. well because I just don't want to be ten years older. Whenever you go home to Drogheda, yeah. you must see big changes there. Big changes. I'll, you know, I think it's um, Drogheda has kind of over the years suffered a lot economically. It it, it would have suffered from uh, Loud as a county had a huge amount of out of town retail park development. And as we've seen in many other parts of of the country, that can suck the life out of the town centre. And I think that certainly has been an issue for Drogheda. Um, I think it's picking itself up a little bit. Um, I would imagine that there are a lot more people now, again, because of the way the property market has gone in Dublin, that are looking that will probably end up living there. It's got great transport links, so it's got a lot going for it. And actually the people in the... um, the Boyne Valley Food Series or you know organization are doing fantastic work in terms of just promoting the local producers I mean there's even asparagus Irish asparagus being grown in Louth which is great there's a garlic farm there's lots of great stuff happening so you know hopefully all going well and as I said of course Brexit is the big issue affecting any border county but hopefully all going well they'll benefit from that and the asparagus is being used for a special event in the intercontinental absolutely which is is fantastic fantastic. you know and no greater tribute than to get into a hotel of that caliber so it's great to see that whenever you started out then with journalism did you did you realize at the time that you were going to be one of the top food media in Ireland. No, it is it is come as a great shock to me because, and also I find it quite funny because a lot of the time you meet people in food and they have wonderful stories about how they learned to cook at their mother's knees and they were fed home-cooked food. And, and my mother is a wonderful, wonderful woman and an absolutely terrible cook. Um, and there were a lot of things like crispy pancakes and potato waffles and even those tinned steak and kidney pies in my childhood 
So it has it is a great shock both to me and to my mother that I have ended up writing about food. But it's been fantastic. And as, as a group of people that you meet, you know, it is a cliche, but it is absolutely true. It is a vocation for them because so few people will make any kind of, you know nobody goes into food to make a fortune I mean what's that great quote about the fastest way to lose a fortune is to open a restaurant so you meet people that really love what they do and do it because they love it so to have been able to get into that world has been a, a wonderful surprise you know and even weaned me off the crispy pancakes although I think they've discontinued them now so it's a good job you know that I'm grown up now and can... you have a lot in common with Paul Flynn then yeah oh absolutely yeah absolutely no ours was a strictly if it doesn't come out of a can or a box type of kitchen that doesn't get cooked (laughs) so what advice do you have to these producers that as you say a lot of them don't have a PR company work for them if they want to kind of pitch a story they splurge a whole story out in an email but really you don't have time to be reading all those lengthy emails so what's the best way for them to pitch a story to yourself or anybody in the food media for example to try and get a bit a bit of free PR a bit of free PR definitely I think try if you try to follow people on twitter and get to know them follow their feed see what they're interested in i would share a lot of the stories that i write so and again other other good food journalists will do the same so you'll be able to look at it and think okay well maybe i could fit in there and then a quick email short introduction you know and and that's usually enough to open a door now i mean it as as i suppose staff numbers have reduced in journalism we're all busier than we used to be so it can take a little while and it may even need a couple of goes um you don't need a pr company i what i would say is it can be worth if you're at a certain stage investing in half decent photos because that can and that can even it doesn't even necessarily have to be a professional photographer but even just good shots taken on a decent high quality iPhone or a good camera um a website you know again I, I see a lot of restaurants that have Facebook pages instead of websites I really hate it as a punter and as a journalist I think you know put a little bit of time and the small amount of time and money needed into even if it's a WordPress website because you're getting your name out there that way and it's it's easier for me as a journalist if you send me a little pitch I can click onto your website have a look at what you're doing so I suppose small targeted things like that that don't need to cost a fortune just need maybe a little bit of time have you anywhere in Limerick now that you're going to visit over the next 24 hours? Well, this is a flying visit, unfortunately. So I'm down to, to do a, a talk at a Bank of Ireland event. So unfortunately, I'm straight back on the train tomorrow. But it tends to be easier for me to travel in the summer. So I'm definitely hoping to make it back down soon. Well, we look forward to welcoming you back then. In the meantime, thanks a million for talking to me today. Thank you, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Super to talk to Gillian and I look forward to seeing businesses from Limerick being featured in her column as a result of her pitching advice there. So good luck with that. Now before we finish up, a couple of other events taking place that I think are worth a mention. The Strand Hotel in Limerick is running a series of craft producers masterclasses. The next one is a Tullamore Whiskey Masterclass tasting this Thursday the 25th of May. It's €10 per person which includes tastings and finger food. And then in June on Thursday the 8th there's a gin one which I'm sure will be hugely popular given the explosion of gin in recent times. So if you fancy learning more about 
whiskey and or gin, visit strandhotellimerick.ie for details and to book. And finally, a shout out for the coffee morning in aid of Carebright Community that's on tomorrow at 10.30 in House in Limerick. Carebright is building Ireland's first ever purpose-built community for people living with dementia. They're working away in Brough at the moment and the At Your Service Christmas special is going to be filmed there to finish it off. That's the programme of Francis and John Brennan. And I heard Francis on with Ryan Tuberty last week and they're looking for help with that in terms of equipment, etc. And again, the best place to go to get more information have a look there on limerick.ie that's it for tonight thanks so much for listening and to all of my guests mike neary rosemary bannis and gillian neelis next week there's a second helping show scheduled but i'll be back at the start of june with a brand new lineup of guests so until then bon appetit Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!